Boyce went to sleep, so he's not going to come in and yell about the Matrix anymore. More's the pity. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Non-Toxic Fanboys Podcast, where the name is aspirational, and where the saga of Dune is shockingly close to over, as the Dune Listen series takes aim at the scores for the feature film adaptations of the book. I am Glenn, and with me, as always, of course, is Scott. Scott, are you ready for more Dune scores? I mean, in theory? I could imagine a Dune score I might be ready for. Well, I remember one that you were ready for, but we're past that now. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think either of these is a Dune score that I could ever be truly ready for. Spoilers. Let us get started with the score for the 1984 Dune film by Toto. For those of you wondering, yes, that Toto. (laughs) I mean, that's basically the end of the movie, right? Oh, God, can we make that happen? There's got to be a YouTube video somewhere with that laid over. The rains down in Arakeen. I mean, that was certainly a dream we never had. (laughs) I'm going to start by staking my claim that I really love this score. I just think it's great. It's varied, it's dynamic, it has some of the electronic and rock elements that you might expect, but I think they're used intelligently for the most part. It has really, really strong orchestral elements. It has really, really strong melodic elements. There are a bunch of individual pieces in here that I really, really like. And the score as a whole, I just think, is really effective. I disagree. (laughs) I thought you might. In all honesty, I was pretty surprised how much I did enjoy this score. But I wouldn't go so far as to say... I enjoyed this score. If you get the fine distinction I'm making there. Yes, I think I do. 
there are parts of the score that I found enjoyable. There were aspects of it that I found enjoyable. And there were also parts of it that I just found kind of frustrating. One thing this score does an awful lot is it finds like a really good hook, like a short little bit, five or ten seconds, a handful of notes, just a really good hook. And then it just repeats it and 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 and eventually peters out and the track ends. It doesn't really like develop it. It doesn't grow it into something. It doesn't build off of it. It just repeats that really good hook until you kind of get sick of it. And then it just sort of ends without like doing anything or building to anything or transitioning in any way whatsoever. There are a few examples of a melodic piece repeating in here that I think are a lot more compelling to me than they are to you because I feel like they do kind of grow in the repetition. There's the cue for Duke Leto's death, which recurs a couple more times in the film, that I think grows through different instrumentation or a key change or grows in intensity while repeating this one really tragic, really foreboding melodic piece. I think the Leto's death track is okay, but I like it a lot better when they repeat it at the end of the movie, because in that iteration, they actually do sort of build it and grow it and alter it a little bit as they go, rather than simply repeating that one good bit. Even those earlier instances do have elements that make it grow in intensity throughout each piece in the instances where it is featured for an extended cue. 
I think a little bit of a bolero when I hear instances like that, where it's not actually a bolero because that's a whole, like, form, but the idea seems similar to me. I also disagree about your estimation of the use of electronic and rock elements. I think a lot of the way they do that, it seems kind of intrusive. Like, there are parts where I'm, like, genuinely enjoying an orchestral bit, and then they just lay this electric guitar on top as if they have to remind you, hey, this is the 80s, don't forget we did this in the 80s. Like I said, it just seems really intrusive. Like, the main title theme itself, I was listening to it, and at one point it sort of came across to me that, like, the beginning of that theme sounds very, like, heavy and oppressive, and that sort of represents the oppression of the Harkonnen, and then it sort of lightens up, and that could represent, like, the introduction of the Atreides and the Fremen connection to nature, and then the electric guitar section comes in, which represents... Hey, don't forget we did this in the 80s, and we want this to sound really dated as soon as possible. I was going to say, for a large-scale sci-fi movie in the 80s, you wouldn't necessarily be using electric guitar. You would have someone aping John Williams. I really like, actually, the electronics and the guitar in the main title piece in particular because they're used as part of an overall musical texture. I mean, there's the piece over the end credits, which is like a pure pop-slash-rock piece. But in the body of the score, the main title, The Sandworm Ride, is another piece where the electric guitar is very prominent. but it's still used as an element of the music, along with the orchestral elements. I just feel like it's an element that stands out from the rest, and in many ways overpowers the rest. At least to my ear. I always appreciate it when a rock artist or someone with a similar background comes into film scoring and the score they produce still shows an understanding of how to use the orchestra, whether that's from the artists themselves or other people who contributed to it. I mean, we already did Tron Legacy on here, which I think did a fantastic job melding an outsider style with the orchestral elements, and I think Toto's Dune is another example that I've seen a lot of people point to as a successful combination. Of course, Toto didn't go on to have a particular scoring career. Well, neither did Daft Punk. Neither did Daft Punk. R.I.P. to a real one. I thought there were two of them. Or is Daft Punk a gestalt entity? Like L.A. Graph? 
Another thing about the main title theme, the main theme, and the more mournful theme that we've mentioned is those both really, really capture a sense of foreboding and a sense of tragedy. And I think the score as a whole does go very far to capture those elements of the story in particular. Like, there's a love theme for Paul and Shawnee as well, but kind of like that element of the story in the film, it's just kind of there. You know, I could take it or leave it. But the more tragic elements, the more foreboding elements, the score really, really leans on that. At times it does, yeah. Although, other than the various iterations of that Lido's death track, the bits that actually stand out to me are the ones that aren't foreboding, or the ones that are a bit lighter. Almost inappropriately so. Like, there's that flourish at the end of the battle, at the end of the movie. I remember in the movie, it just seems sort of ridiculous. But on the CD, it's actually kind of enjoyable, just like on its own in isolation. And the main attraction of the Sandworm track that you mentioned earlier is that it starts off with this sort of like happy, jaunty version of the Fremen theme. Yeah, that theme is interesting to me. It's mostly just a kind of descending figure. But the first time, I believe, that it's used in the film, it's accompanying Baron Harkonnen. Really? Is it in that track? It is the descending figure in that track, yes. Huh. Conan track is the track that made me comment that a lot of this score is sort of ridiculous and over the top in a way that detracts from any attempt at storytelling the movie might make, in much the same way that this movie is very ridiculous and over the top in ways that detract from any attempts at storytelling it might make. Well, that particular piece for the Baron, yes, is extremely over the top. The top is no longer in sight. Yes, the flying fat man has shattered that glass ceiling. Oh my god. (laughs) I find with a lot of these scores, I run into a wall at some point. I mention it because it's at the top of my mind, because I just did it today with this score. There is a limit to how much I can pay close attention to a particular score. There's a limit to how much of my attention that score can soak up before there's just not enough there anymore. For the Graham Revelle score from the Dune miniseries, that limit was like 30 seconds into the first track on my first listen. 
I was just like, okay, I got, there's nothing else here for me to pay attention to. For the Children of Dune score, I've been listening to that for almost 20 years, and I haven't reached that point. So there's your spectrum of various levels. For this Toto score, I've found that it's, you know, five or ten listens over the course of a week or so. In the middle of listening to it today, I just reached a point where it's just like, I can't listen to this anymore. I literally cannot make myself pay attention to this anymore. I've reached my limit. I don't know if that's a criticism or not, but it's just something I noticed. There is a finite amount of time I can spend listening carefully to this score. And it's not nearly zero like it is for some scores. I mean, this isn't Dunkirk. This isn't Dune 2000. But this also isn't Children. You know, there's nothing here I'm going to still be listening to a month from now. Like, when I'm listening to a bunch of really crappy scores trying to find the ones I actually like out of the 2021 slate, and my mind starts to drift to other better things I wish I was listening to instead, this is not one of the things my mind will be drifting to. The main title and all of the uses of that deeply, deeply tragic theme are things that I've been listening to for 20 years and will still be listening to in the future. There are absolutely pieces in here that have stuck with me. Although since you bring up the two scores that we discussed last time for the miniseries adaptations, it occurred to me this latest time listening to the Toto score that we had discussed the extent to which each of those miniseries scores engaged with a maybe stereotypical desert-y sound. And spoilers, the next score we're going to be talking about in the other part of this show is extremely concerned with that sense of place as well. And that is something that this score does not concern itself with at all in the least. No, it does not do that. Of course, I don't believe that was as much of a thing in the 80s. Like, are there any other desert epics you can think of from the 80s? And what kind of scores did those have? I mean, you think of desert epics, you think of Lawrence of Arabia, but that was like 15 years before this movie. That's the one I was going to say. When was Lawrence of Arabia made? I don't know. Does Gandhi count? Mm, I don't think so. The bits of Star Wars that were in the desert didn't have a sense of place. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you saw a big white blur, there weren't, like, a lot of traditional instrumentation. I don't know. I can't think of any epic films about plucky underdog desert fighters that came out in the immediate aftermath of the Iranian Revolution. Wonder why that is. Sometimes there are just these trends in Hollywood, and who knows why. Well, I mean, later in the 80s, you had films dedicated to the brave fighters of the Mujahideen. <laughs> Of course, that score didn't have much in the way of desert elements either. Pretty good score, though. Yeah, we'll get there when we do our negative 28th Oscar preview. (laughs) In the meantime, I think we're going to move on to the last Dune score that we're discussing. Frank Klaplacki's Dune 2000 score. Oh, wait, wait, no, 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 sorry. Do you know how many times the thought occurred to me that, wow, this track sounds like it could have come straight out of the Dune 2000 video game, but then I had to stop myself because, of course, a lot of the music in the Dune 2000 video game was inspired by this movie? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. 
Like, that's not a coincidence that they sound similar. No. Paul's fight with the battle bot at the beginning of the film, like, that cue is lifted pretty much directly for One Piece in Dune 2000. Absolutely. Which is a fine video game score. I don't know that much else about other Dune video game scores, and I don't think we're doing that next time, so... Let's move on to the 2021 film, Dune 2020, with music by Hans Zimmer. This score was a bit of a confounding experience. It was not surprising the first time I listened to it, and then it surprised me the second time I listened to it. All I can think when you say that is the meaning of the word surprise from that joke about the farmer trying to teach his kid manners, where he says, Oh, you're saying the bull surprised the white cow? <laughs> I first listened to the official soundtrack album for this. There are several albums in several permutations. I first listened to the album around the time we watched the movie and found it just as I had expected. Another kind of blank Zimmer score, pretty stereotypical. Revisiting the album again to do this show, I found it surprisingly compelling. I found it hypnotic for several long stretches. Strangely compelling is also the way that I described it. Right? Like, I recognize that this isn't really anything I should be enjoying for large swaths of it. Like, there are some parts that are actually genuinely cool, but for large parts of it, I recognize that there's nothing about it I like, and yet I still find it sort of interesting in a way, and I'm not entirely sure why. Like, it has none of the features that I usually look for in a score, but it is, as I said, strangely compelling. I do enjoy the theme that he uses. I don't think he uses it as well as he could, but the, like, one or two tracks where he does explore it a bit, I think are genuinely rather good. Oh yeah, definitely. I eventually had the thought, while listening to a few uses of that theme, which has the same sort of ascending figure happening at different rates in different parts of the instrumentation. I shouldn't say orchestration, because there isn't actually an orchestra in this score. (laughs) 
I did have the thought that this score uses synths and guitars in a much more well-integrated, less obtrusive way than the 84 score does. I'm looking at a review of the score that quotes an interview that Zimmer did with Variety, where he said there's no orchestra anywhere in Dune. Even something that sounds like brass could be an electric guitar or electric cello manipulated electronically. Unusual woodwinds like the Armenian duduk or Scottish bagpipes occasionally peek through, but most sounds are from specially commissioned instruments and new synthesizer modules. Yeah, it sounds like Zimmer. It does, and it sounds, like you're saying, like the sort of thing that you wouldn't enjoy at all, and yet. It sounds like I would enjoy this about as much as I enjoyed Dunkirk, which is fully what I expected until I started listening to it. Like, even after I watched the movie, I didn't remember much of the score, but what I did remember, I fully expected to enjoy this score as much as I enjoyed Dunkirk. And yet. Well, I mean, just first off, it's incredibly, incredibly more melodic than Dunkirk. It's not just sound design and ticking clocks and all that. After watching the movie, before I listened to the album, that's what I expected, was droning and rhythmic patterns and sound design, and not musical score. Like, that's the impression that I had after watching the movie, but actually listening to the score, fuck, parts of this are actually pretty good. (laughs) So, back to that main theme, like I was saying, There are a couple of pieces that use it with the same ascending figure happening at different rates in different parts of the instrumentation. And I eventually had the thought that that could stand for the way that eventually Paul starts to, like, perceive time at different rates, or, like, different versions of events that could be, which is an incredibly cerebral thing to express in the score. But if you think about it the right way, you can express that in the score. One thing that kind of confounded me that I didn't come to a firm conclusion on, I guess I'd just have to listen to it more, maybe do more A to B comparisons, and I didn't get a chance to do that yet. There's two main musical ideas, I suppose you could call them, that this score features. Well, I guess there's three, but the Harkonnen material is nearly entirely absent from this CD. Yeah, it peeks through a couple of times, and, uh... Even on the Oscar promo that's more complete, it's still almost entirely absent, even on there. Yeah, I'm kind of okay with that one personally. So other than the Harkonnen throat singing, 
there's two main ideas. I hesitate to call them both themes, although I guess I suppose they could be. But there's two main musical pieces that feature repeatedly in this score. One of them is what we've been calling the main theme. And the other one is sort of a, like, weird scream singing thing that pops up occasionally, almost always entirely in isolation, almost always entirely unsupported by the rest of the orchestration. And so it just sort of stands there on its own and does nothing. And I could never quite determine if that was a variation on the main theme or if it was actually a different melody. Like, different times I've listened to them, sometimes it seems like it's just a variation on the theme, like with a slightly different cadence as it's sung, and other times it sounds completely different. I think it is very closely related to one of the ideas that carries through other parts of the score. Yes. And as the way that that particular vocal style in some performances of it is used, I think it comes in independent of other musical aspects, mostly because it's so harsh and abrasive. It's acting more as an interruption and more as an intrusion on the other elements. The one time that it is sort of more integrated into the rest of the instrumentation is the last track on the CD, the track that's basically at the end of the movie. And once it's actually integrated in with the rest of the score, it actually does sound pretty cool as like part of a greater whole. But like every other time it's used, it's just thrown out there completely independently on its own. I mean, it would make sense that those ideas would come together a little more at the end of the film. Even though the story isn't really coming together and ending, you still have some things that try to create somewhat of a sense of closure. 
Yeah, I was surprised by this score because, like I said, after seeing the movie and just the impression I had of the score, I was expecting another Dunkirk. And so then I listened to it and I'm like, wow, this is actually pretty good. And so I was kind of like you. I sort of went into my second listen unsure of what to expect. Like, do I actually enjoy this score as much as I thought I did on first blush? Or is it going to kind of fall back down to earth now that it doesn't benefit from abysmally low expectations? But no, even on second listen, I still like a lot of this score. Like I said, there's like very few parts I would call like genuinely good, like things I would actually want to listen to again, maybe. But a lot of this score, I just find very, there's something about it that just sucks you in, you know? It's definitely not boring, like the miniseries score. It's definitely not empty, like Dunkirk. It's strangely compelling. I hate to keep falling back on the same description, but once you come up with a description that fits, there's no point in trying to reword the thing. It's strangely compelling. I keep coming back to the idea that it's hypnotic. Because I remember a similar circumstance when I was similarly surprised by Zimmer's score for Inception, which, again, is not like the prototypical score that I would be attracted to a priori. But I just found it hypnotic and entrancing, and I found myself able to listen to it over and over. And I think there are pieces, at least, or maybe one or two of the several presentations of this score that I could do something like that with. The thought occurred to me several times that if I were still working remotely, a lot of this is the sort of thing that I could put on in the background while I have to concentrate on something. And that's not to deride it at all. I think that is one form of genuine quality. You know, the way that I did for Inception for a while, one that I did that with for a very long time was Chris Tilton's score for the SimCity video game. You know, I think it's genuinely valuable to have music like that, that I would be very happy doing that with if I had the circumstance especially the sketchbook album associated with this score. This is something that Zimmer has done a few times. His process is one where he tends to write a series of pieces with his general ideas about the film and about the score and about like the vibes that he gets discussing it with the director and such. And then he already has those ideas when he's getting into the details of spotting the film and if he's working with collaborators, working with them. And a few times he's gone ahead and released an album presentation of what he calls his sketchbook. Um, He did that for Man of Steel, for Dark Phoenix. Uh, The one for Dune, I think, is probably the best of them. I didn't particularly care for those other scores. But the way that the Dune sketchbook has longer, more fleshed out versions of some of the ideas going into the score, I think, is pretty compelling as well. Yeah, I haven't listened to that yet. As you know, I generally focus in these things on the music that's actually in the movie. That's sort of my definition of a movie score, is the score from the movie. So I haven't listened to the Sketchbook album yet, but yeah, that does sound interesting. I listened to the Oscar promo that they put out, because it has a lot of material in it that's not on the CD album. And even some of the material that is shared would be arranged somewhat differently. I mean, theoretically, the Oscar promo would be a lot closer to the way that it's used or arranged for the movie. That's interesting, because I didn't like the Oscar promo much at all. I didn't like it as much as the soundtrack album or the sketchbook, either, honestly. 
yeah, I I just couldn't connect with the promo version at all. Like even tracks that were the same, I didn't like as much on the promo. I don't know if it was just audio quality. The promo album did seem to have some like audio issues. Like the volume of different tracks would sort of randomly go up and down, like it was a bootleg recorded off the back channel of a DVD or something. Just looking at our shared notes, I think the track where you were really bothered by that, I think that one was an artistic choice. Eh, it's not a good one. Well... Like, I can understand adjusting the volume of the score in mixing, because there's other stuff going on on screen you want to hear, but you don't just, like, randomly ramp it up and down like that on the fucking album. What's the point of that? I can't bring to mind the scene that it's used in in the film, so I couldn't say at this particular moment. There are some selections, though, that are on that promo that aren't on the album, so that was interesting to hear. The music for Duncan's Death isn't on the album, and after listening to it on the promo release, I guess I understand why it's not really much of anything. But the music for Leto's Death I did find kind of interesting, because it sort of reminded me of Qui-Gon's funeral from Star Wars. except then with the scream singing tacked on the end. I mean, I suppose it shares that sort of baritone chorus, but yeah, not a lot of scream singing in Star Wars. This score really does throw a lot of different ideas into the mix. There's the scream singing we've been discussing. There has got to be a better term for that, by the way. Well, you're the musical one. I think I've been clear on these score shows that I don't actually know anything about music. I'm just a person who's been reading message boards about it for 20 years. There is some guttural throat singing for the Harkonnens. There is some vocal layering of different whispering performances that's used for the Bene Gesserit.
And just now, while I was listening to the Oscar promo just before we started recording, the thought occurred to me there, could the layered, multi-vocal whispers for the Bene Gesserit stand for the voices of the multiple Reverend Mothers contained in each Reverend Mother? Huh. I mean, that too is a really cerebral concept to express in music. There are, of course, many forms of instrumentation used to create the sense of place that we've been talking about throughout these Dune scores that the two miniseries had extensively to convey the desert setting and which the 84 movie concerned itself with not in the least. That sort of style is, of course, here. That's something that Zimmer's used pretty prodigiously at other times before. Is it really? I didn't take note of that in this score. Oh yeah, a lot of the sort of exotic woodwinds, yeah. It's not super, super stereotypical, and it's offset by all of the other elements. The several different kinds of vocal performance, the electronics, the bagpipes that are thrown in a couple of times. Yeah, the bagpipes are... Like, I kind of like the bagpipes, but they show up once for, like, ten seconds and then are never heard before or since. Well, the bagpipes come up in the Harkonnen attack against the Atreides, but if you recall in the film, when the Atreides first arrive on Arrakis, when they're getting off their ship, they are preceded by a bagpiper. Huh, oh yeah, you're right. So that's kind of associated with the Atreides already. A little bit. I wonder why that cut's not on any of these albums, then. (laughs) I don't know, the presence of the bagpipes just seems kind of random. Like the way that all the Atreides are carrying around tiny dogs in the 84 movie. Yeah, there weren't as many tiny dogs in the new movie. Very disappointing. Hopefully Gurney will have one in the next part. So now we've reviewed all four of these Dune scores. Do we even need to have a discussion of which one was the best?
Oh yeah, I think Grim Ravel is unrivaled. I mean, I thought both movie scores were surprisingly good, but come on. Yeah, I know. I mean, sure, I'm not here to dispute the Children of Dune score's place of prominence in our hearts. I mean, if I did, you might have my water. No, I'll I'll delete the Hans Zimmer directory off of your computer, and then I'll tell you I've just cut the collar from around your neck. <laughs> and that, I think, will do it for Dune Watch and Dune Listen. The saga of Dune is being suspended... Pending the next film. <laughs> so, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, you can find us at NontoxicFanboys on Twitter and Facebook, or you can email us at NontoxicFanboys at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, get episodes early, and hear an exclusive monthly behind-the-scenes podcast where we talk about the making of the show, you can do that at Patreon.com slash NontoxicFanboys. And you can find all of this info, plus every episode of the podcast and all of our other accounts like our YouTube channel, our Twitch channel, and our Discord server, all listed at our website, nontoxicfanboys.com. The theme music to this podcast is Discovery by Alexander Nakarada. Other music in this episode comes from the score to Dune by Toto, published by PEG Recordings, and Dune by Hans Zimmer, published by Water Tower Music, both of which are excerpted here for the purposes of review and critique. A full list of tracks cited can be found in this episode's description. Thank you very much. We will see you next time. a couple of pieces from this I'm going to want to pull out like to listen to in general in the future but after listening to four different presentations of it like I'm going to have to listen to the album again to see what they are (laughs) well that's why we have notes yeah that's why we have notes I definitely think you should give the sketchbook a shot the art book I didn't even mention the art book score the art book I don't think would be to your tastes at all It's like if you take the score and make it a lot more ambient. More ambient? Much more ambient. Extremely more ambient. Like, a lot of the score for the Art of Dune book sounds like those old videos, and I remember some audio posts on Tumblr, where they would take a song or take some piece and slow it down by a thousand percent. Do you remember that fad? It was like 10 years ago. Everyone started using Paul Stretch. A lot of the art book album sounds like you took the score from Dune and slowed it down a thousand times. The score from Dune does not need to be slowed down a thousand times. I would say practically nothing needs to be slowed down a thousand times. In fact, most things need to be sped up. Yeah, I was going to say... If I had time before we were going to record this, I might have taken a couple of tracks from the art book and sped them up like a hundred times and see if that sounded like the score from Dune. Man, I ended the show and kept talking about the music. I don't suppose that'll edit in anywhere.